in mind, I think. All right, um, so a little review from last week. We learned that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so he was like, like none of us can fulfill the law. The law is in the Old Testament, and there's like over 600 laws. So there's no way that any human being could ever fulfill them, because who could even remember 600 laws, much less fulfill them? So Jesus comes and he fulfills the law, and then he shows us the intent behind the laws, and that's to first show us that we can't do it alone, and then second, it's to push us towards something greater. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is going to take a few examples of the laws and take them a step further and basically tell his followers, like, it's all about your heart, and I don't want you to just merely follow the laws. I want your heart to be in the right place. And he's calling them to something greater, not just a checkmark list of, I didn't murder someone, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I did do this, but rather, I thought kindly of these people, and I worked hard today, and I glorified the Lord in my thoughts and in my mind. And so that's what Jesus wants his followers to be, because he doesn't want just their deeds, he wants their heart also. Um, So now Jesus is going to apply that same way of thinking to a few other laws, and we're going to cover three of them today. Um, We're going to cover, um, what is it, lust? divorce and oaths so I just want to put a disclaimer out there and just like because I know a lot of you come um, from places where one of those topics or two of those topics or all those topics are really sensitive for you and so I want to do just just like a disclaimer that I want to do my best to be super sensitive but also stay true to what the text says Um, but I also want to make sure that like anyone here like if you ever like want to say something in the group Um, that you disagree with or a thought that you have or something that you wish would be said like say it Um, but also I'm also open to talking to it afterwards as well Um, but yeah I also just want to acknowledge that I know a lot of you guys come from different situations different homes different ways of thinking and ways you've grown up and the things that you've experienced Um, so I want to be super sensitive to that Um, but I also want you to lean into what the Lord has said about these topics um, and what he designed um, and his design is always good and trustworthy and true. Um, so with that being said, let's go ahead and dive in. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. So last week we covered anger. So we're going to pick up in verse 27 and we're not going to read the entire passage that we're going to read today all at once. We're going to break it up into three sections. Um, so Matthew 5. 27 through 30. Who could read that for us? I can do it. Thank you, Elise. Uh, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman and lusts for her has committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Thank you, Elise. Um, so the language that Jesus uses here is pretty harsh. And the people that were originally listening to this were probably like, whoa, cut off my hand, cut off my arm, like plug out my eye. That's crazy. Um, and then also the fact that Jesus took this Old Testament law, do not commit adultery, which is just like keeping all sexual relations within your marriage. Um, that was like a checkmark thing. Like, oh, I won't cheat on my, my wife. Checkmark. But Jesus is calling them now to something greater. Like, don't even look at another woman or another man with lustful intents. Um, so lust is a big word, and it includes a lot of different things. So I looked up a few de- definitions of it, uh, biblical definitions from, like, teachers that I trust. So I'm going to read through those definitions real fast. Lust is taking a perfectly good thing that God created, namely sexual desire, and abstracting it or stripping it off from an honor towards a person and stripping it off from a supreme regard to God's holiness. If you take God away and you take the honor of man away, what you have left is lust. Another definition. Lust is genuinely defined as a strong desire for something or someone and is often used specifically regarding sexual desires. Lust is focused on pleasing oneself, often without regard of detrimental consequences. And then another one that I found. Lust is viewing another for what they can do for you, their physical appearance physical appearance, or sexuality. You strip them of their humanity and selfishly think of them in a way that is not honoring or pleasing to God. Um, so the Bible makes it very clear that lust is dangerous. And I don't want to just assume that lust is just a man problem because... Sin can cover any gender. Um, No one is 
um, too good for a sin. Um, so lust can also impact women. And I think that sometimes it impacts us in a different way than maybe a man, but I guess it could be the same. I mean, we all struggle differently. Um, but the Bible makes it clear that lust is very, very dangerous. Um, so turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6. I'm sure you guys have read this passage before, um, heard of it. Uh, it's pretty popular when it comes to talking about sex. Um, but I'll go ahead and read this for us. Oh, but before, just the context. So the Corinthians, not they are they come from a very corrupt society that was very sexually driven, very sexually focused. And um, these Christians, they're becoming Christians, which is awesome, but they're having a hard time leaving their old lifestyle, leaving their old habits. Um, because something that was really popular in Corinth was this idea of like, just like you eat food to satisfy something, you have sex to satisfy. So it was just like an appetite. They didn't see it as something that was like intimate or glorifying to God or something that should even be taken into account when it comes to thinking of God. They just saw it as something like, well, I eat a sandwich when I'm hungry, so I'm going to go sleep with this person whenever I want to. Um, it was also a form of worship. They would worship this God by going to the temple and having sex with other people, which is like terrible to think about. Um, but that's like the reality that they lived in. So this is Paul writing to them on why that is so wrong. Um, so starting in verse 12 of chapter six, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take then the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual, the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Um, so yeah, it, very strong language again, too, when it comes to the topic of lust and sexual immorality, which is consistent throughout Scripture. Anytime like, sexual immorality is brought up, it's very like harsh, strict language. Um, so it's like, literally run from it. Like, get the heck away from it. Um, so why does, like, how does this passage... Ex- explain how different sexual sin is from other sins because obviously all sin is equal in god's eyes but it doesn't mean may mean that sin is different how is sexual sin different i think the main thing that stands out to me is with sexual sin when you have sex with someone outside of marriage like it creates like a soul tie to yeah. that person and you know if i go murder somebody when my soul's not tied to that person. Hmm. That's still a sin, but yeah. sexual sin, your soul is tied to that person. Right. There's something, like, very different about just, like, the action of sex, so therefore the, like, taking it outside God's intention. Like the consequence. Yeah, it's just different consequence. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Well, this type of sin, it's more of a complex consequence. Mm. Because it's yeah. not just murder someone, you go to jail, right? It's, you have mental, physical, emotional things that you now have to work through, that you now have to overcome or think about, or if this was, like, before marriage, now you have to, like, think about this new, like, how do I approach this within marriage? Like, Mm. it's a a whole other, and it takes years and years and years and sometimes decades to overcome, oh, goodness, that sort of thing. And so it's just more complex. Yeah. It's a a heavier sin because it lasts. Yeah, it definitely has a lot more consequences and it affects us as people for sure. Um, And obviously like the grace and mercy of God covers every single sin. Mm -hmm. Like if you have messed up sexually, 
I've messed up sexually. The Lord is gracious and good and will forgive you and you are a new creation. But that doesn't mean that you won't reap the consequences of it. Um, but yeah, whether we sin sexually, whether in our minds, because what Jesus is talking about here is the lust in the mind where you can kind of hide it away. Um, whether you sin in your mind lustfully or you sin outwardly, like with an action, um, we are disregarding that God is the creator of our bodies, that the Holy Spirit lives within us. Um, and we're basically saying, God, I don't believe what you say about my body, about sex, about this, and I'm going to choose my own way. But if, and like, I want to be so sensitive here because like sexual sin is so common and like so it can in 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 the church i've noticed that it's really hard to not feel a lot of shame and to have a place to talk about it and so i just like want to encourage you that if that is you like there is a lot of hope and there's so much freedom and there's no sin that is so great that god cannot free you from and it's Um, not impossible to overcome consequences and it's not impossible to overcome the difficulties that come with that but you have to understand that they exist. Right. You can't just go around doing whatever you want always. It, but it, like, it's not impossible. Mm, yeah. It's hard. Yeah. You'll have your work cut out for you. It will not be an easy thing to grow with, to overcome, to teach your children one day. Mm. But, I, again, the grace and mercy of the Lord provides us all of these spaces. And yeah. Wonderful, wonderful verses. To yes. Yeah, and it's in the consequences that sometimes we're sanctified more and we become more holy. Um, but a good way to just avoid the consequences is to do what Jesus says and to cut it off at its source, to get rid of anything that tempts you, that alters your walk, that directs, that changes your focus. Um, we can hide anything in our minds, and so we have to be super, we have to search our hearts and be like, okay, what's actually causing me to stumble here? And we can even think, like, if you don't struggle with lust, then you can think outside of that. Like, what if you struggle with something else? What's causing you to sin? Cut it off. Is it your phone? Is it that website? Is it a book? Is it a person? Cut it off. Is it worth it? Is it worth continually disobeying the Lord, not following what he has for you in order for you to continue to live in sin? Um, so Jesus' words in Matthew 5, um, to cut out your eye, to cut off your hand, um, it's harsh, but it's true. And it's not It's not like literally cut off your hand, right? But the the... Like, Jesus' intention here is the same. Like, do what you need to do to get sin out of your life so that you can walk with the Lord. Um, Because walking with the Lord is so much better than living in sin. So much better. Um, So why why is it hard um, to cut off the things that need to be cut off? Why is that a hard process for any sin? Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like when Jesus is like saying like cut out your eye the moment like he, people like heard that they're like well we need our eyes to see <laughs> yeah and I know he probably wasn't saying like to literally cut out your eye but just like in comparison to like the different things that we need to cut out of our in, out of our lives we may look at them and be like well I need that thing like I need my phone I need the computer I need that book I need that person but basically like what Jesus is saying is you can cut that out of your life because you actually don't need it what you need is me. Right. I will cover over all that and you need to trust me and trust my sovereignty over everything and hmm. trust that I'm going to like replace that need with something that is better and yeah. isn't be worth it. I know you don't see it right now, but if you just trust in my sovereignty and I will get you through it. Hmm. Yeah. And that's really hard to believe. <laughs> oh, so hard to but, believe. But you said I mean, it so, so well. Yeah. You said it so well. Like we think that sometimes we need the things that are enabling us to sin, but in reality, what we need more than anything is God. Yeah, that's so good. So good. Yeah. So, yeah. I so I got rid of all social media because it was just hmm. not a good thing. It was not not helping me in any way. And I was like, I you know I'll just delete it. It'll be fine. But then it would be like on my iPad. I could get to it on my iPad, and I could still, like, I don't have the app anymore, but I can type in the website, mm. and I know my password. Right. Here we go. It's easy. Right? Mm-hmm. So I literally asked David, I was like, David, will you change my password and not tell me what it is? Because <laughs> I really don't want to be looking at all this, but it's just, it's so easy, and it's so, you know, whatever. And, of course, he did. He yeah. It's really important to me that I'm just not on it anymore. Mm. And here we go. Yeah. That's great. I don't know. Yeah. So if you can't do it on your own, 
bring someone no else how much in. You want to find somebody who will help you. Hmm. And yeah. Yeah, bring other people in. But that's hard too, because it's, it's hard like because then you have to admit, expose weakness. I, yeah, I'm struggling here, here, here. Mm-hmm. You think I'm this wonderful, lovely friend of yours, and here are all of my darkness. <laughs> yeah. I need you to take care of. Yeah, like, it's yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, being honest is like with someone, like when you're scared of what they're gonna think of you afterwards, is very hard. So yeah, but always worth it. I know, like for myself, like especially when. Like, oh, like, I don't know, four or five years ago when I, like, first, like, said yes to Jesus. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm ready to do this. Mm. I didn't, like, fully believe that, like, I was really, like, I was really, like, his daughter. And, like, when you say yes to Jesus, like, you become holy. Like, you become a person. And so I was at church the other night, and our pastor said, like, one thing that just really stuck out with me is, like, when you, I know for myself, when I start thinking of, whether it's lustful thoughts or worry or fear, as soon as, like, the first thought comes into my head, it can almost be, like, a downward spiral of, like, Mm -hmm. what ifs, like, oh, my gosh, this could lead to this, and then that to this, and then this, and then this. One thing, like, that our pastor said was just, like, quieting your heart and just saying, like, shh, you don't think like that anymore. Mm. You're new, you're a new creation in God's eyes. You don't think like that anymore. That's good. And I know this for me that, like, really stuck out to me of, like, Okay, I am a new creation. I don't have to think like this anymore. That's so so good. Yeah, and the Bible is so clear that, like, we're no longer slaves to sin, that we're children of God. And so that's so true. You can be like, no, I don't think like this anymore because that isn't who I am. And I know, like, sometimes what helps me is, like, I'm, like, I catch myself worrying a lot, a lot. And so, like, sometimes I'm, like, like, a really silly, like, lie and just worry like oh my gosh what if my husband gets hit by a truck tomorrow mm. like sometimes like for me, me this helps to just like laugh like <laughs> just like laugh it out it's like that's hilarious that like any enemy would try to like make me worry over something like that like that's funny almost <laughs> like you know yeah yeah, I have thoughts like that come into my mind, like, all the time of, like, what ifs. Yeah. And then I, the thing that comforts me so much is, like, okay, if that yes. does happen, the Lord will give me the strength yes. for that day. Yes, he will. In that day, he will give me what I need to get through it, to glorify him, and to cling to hope. Yeah. But right now, I don't need that. Yeah, I don't need that. He's worry. giving me what I need for today. I can, yes. just, like, he, like, provided the manna for the Israelites in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. He's going to give me what I need spiritually, emotionally, physically, every day. Yeah. yeah. The other part that's hard with fully getting rid of something is fully yeah because the examples here you cut your right hand off and it's not growing back Mm. like it's not going to come back there's no hope for it to be back and so if the problem is your right hand it's completely gone without hope of ever returning it's not going to grow back yeah and so it has to be like a complete it's so hard yeah yeah because like i know like for me, like, I kind of, like, chip away things as I feel comfortable. Or I'm like, oh, I feel comfortable getting rid of this now. I'll wait a few more weeks, see how I'm doing. I'm sure I'll be fine. Like, I won't give in to temptation. And then, what do you know, two days, three days later, right back at square one. And with things like lust, it's so hard because it's everywhere. Now. Yeah. It's so accessible. Yeah. You all have phones. It, it's all there. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah, I mean, like, porn is huge. And then we have, like, like books where it's just, like, you're reading porn. Or, like, I even think for, like, like sometimes it can be emotional lust, especially for women, mm-hmm. of, like, I want to feel cared for and desired and emotionally yeah. taken care of. And so you run to these sources that make you feel that way or you run to a person that makes you feel that way. And it's, like, that whether you know it or not, is lust. You might not be wanting their body, but you want something from them mm-hmm. or that thing. Um, and More that, than just support, encouragement, help. It's not mm-hmm. bad to want those things. Yes, sometimes. yes. Like, I want you to be encouraged and support. Oh, them. for like, sure, yeah. Things, but, like, beyond that. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, it's different within friends, for sure. But, like, yeah. I think you guys know what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that changed the way I viewed lust because I was like, as soon as I realized it can be emotional, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, I'm totally guilty of that, of, like, needing, like, feeling like I need, like, something and then going to something else for it. 
and that's just lust. Um, and so cut it off, get rid of it, and you will find so much freedom in doing that. Um, so yeah, any other comments on that? I don't want to just skip ahead if anyone has anything else to say. All right, cool. Um, so the next section, um, Jesus dives into another Old Testament law. Um, and it wasn't even like really a law. It was more of like a way for someone to get out of a marriage. So it was just kind of like a like a, a law that gave permission of a certain circumstance to get out of marriage. Um, so yeah, another disclaimer. I know a lot of you come, you guys know what, like you know the pain of divorce and you know how much it can hurt. And you might have witnessed it firsthand or through a friend. or, um, And so I just want to be very sensitive here. But that's why throughout this little section, I want to point to what God's plan is. Humans are sinful and we ruin God's good plan. But God's plan is never ruined. God's good, holy, perfect plan is never ruined. And we have the opportunity to strive for that. Um, but that doesn't mean I know like a lot of you have been impacted um, by broken marriages. Um, so that, that is the result of sin. That is not the result of God. Um, so let's dive in, uh, Matthew 5, 31 through 32, just a quick two verses. Um, who could read those two verses for us? Thank you, Maddie. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Awesome. Super short, but has like a big implication. Um, so let's jump back to um, what God's original plan for marriage was with the first marriage in Genesis. Genesis 2. Um, Genesis 2, 18 through 25. This is like the first marriage ceremony, so pretty cool. Big moment in history. The first ever man and wife. Um and Eve wasn't wearing a wedding dress because they were naked. So that's weird. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I was just, in my head, I was like, I wonder, I wonder if, like, Eve had a dress. And I was like, wait, no, Eve was naked. But anyway, sorry, went random. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Everyone, please have a dress. Get a really nice dress. <laughs> all right starting in verse 18 then the lord god said it is not good that man should be alone i will make him a helper fit for him now out of the ground the lord god had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called every living creature that was its name the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field but for adam there was not found a helper fit for him so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and when he slept, he took out one of his ribs and closed it in place with flesh. And the rib that God, the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of a man. Therefore a, father shall leave his, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed." All right, so the first marriage. What are some things that you guys notice about this marriage, this first marriage? It was ordained by God. Ordained by God, yeah. That's a big one. God was like the person up there. You make it out because the bride. Adam. Necessary. Necessary, yeah. Yeah, it's not good for him to be alone. Think of because they were the only two people there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't always have to be like this big. Like, mm-hmm. well, it, great. it probably wasn't even like the picture that you see. Yeah, like they were like with Adam and Eve and God at the front, and then like the audience of animals all watching. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, the animals don't really know what's going on. Like, it isn't like what we think of today when we think of weddings. Yeah, very different. Yeah, what else do you guys notice about this marriage? They become one flesh. Yeah, that's God's plan for the two to become one flesh. Yeah, and it was a man and a woman ordained by God. It was simple, like Julia said. And they were unashamed. There was no shame involved. Um, And this was before the fall. So there was no shame, no sin, no tears, no anything. Nothing was wrong. This was God's plan for marriage. 
Um, and this is what God wants our marriages to be as well. Um, this is what we can strive for. Um, but we are sinners, um, which is, we'll jump into this later, but that's why Jesus says what he does. Um, turn with me to Ephesians 5. This will kind of help us build a framework before we dive in to the other part. Ephesians 5, 31 through 33. It's going to sound familiar. <laughs> um, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So what do we see here? What is the purpose of marriage? It's a reflection. It's just a picture. So after sin, I mean, this is a long way after Adam and Eve had sinned. So after sin, this is still God's intention to reflect himself through it, to reflect his relationship to us through it, um, through Christ and his church. So in a perfect world, um, the husband would love and serve and lay down his life for the wife, just like Christ literally died for us and loves us without any hesitation he has the agape love towards us, then no matter what we do, he will never stop loving us. In a perfect world, that's what the husband is supposed to emulate. And then in a perfect world, a, li- a wife would respect, honor, love, serve her husband, just like the church. Love, honors, respects, serves, and dedicates their life to Jesus Christ um, in a perfect world. But obviously, you and I are sinners. If you're married, your husband is a sinner, and we don't do this. Um, our hearts sometimes are hard, and because of sin... That's what brings divorce into the picture. But God's plan was never for divorce. In God's good, holy, awesome plan, divorce was never a part. But he permits divorce in certain circumstances because of the hardness of people's hearts, because of sin. Um, So let's turn to Deuteronomy 24. We're jumping all over the place. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. This is the law that Jesus is going to dive into when we go back to Matthew. Um, because a big problem in the day, the Pharisees, is it Deuteronomy 4? Deuteronomy 24, I'm sorry. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Um, a big problem during this day is that they would look at this law in particular, and you'll see it. There's a, a verse that says that the husband may divorce his wife if there's indecency. And they would say, all right, if the wife does anything wrong, we divorce her. She burns the toast. She's gone. She doesn't put salt in the bread. She's gone. Like, so I would already be divorced if that was the case. <laughs> but, but um, so Jesus is saying, whoa, everybody, slow down. Let's see what the intent behind this law actually is. Um, because they were, they had the wrong view of it um, and a very selfish view of it. Um, so Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Um, also a disclaimer, this is not the... This is not the law of God. This is not God commanding something. This is just a what-if situation, I guess. All right. Sorry. When a man takes his wife and marries her, if she then finds no favor in his eyes, and when he has found some indecency in her, and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her off out from his house, and she departs out of his house, if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her, and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house... Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. You shall not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving for you to an, as an inheritance. Um, in my version, in verse 1, the word indecency, um, like that word in the Hebrew, means sexual immorality. Um, so the Pharisees would look at this and look at indecency, and they would say, oh, qualifies for anything. Like, I'll divorce my wife when I want to divorce her based on what I feel, what I think, if she's serving me the way I want to be served. Um, but what this actually is saying is the indecency is like some sexual immorality. Um, and in other places, it's clear that the wife can also divorce her husband too. So it's not just like the husband only has authority to divorce, but the wife can divorce too in circumstances like that. Um, so divorce was allowed, but carefully regulated in the Old Testament. And it was only allowed because of sin, right? And it's not God's good 
awesome plan. Um, so the Pharisees misinterpreted this, which is why Jesus says what he does in Matthew 5. Um, so let's flip back to Matthew 5. You guys are going to have uh, the whole Bible read by the end of this lesson. <laughs> um, um, so Jesus makes an exception to divorce. He says, um, whoever divorces his wife, um, like whoever divorces his wife, let him give him a certificate of divorce. And he takes it a step farther and he says, don't divorce except on the ground of sexual immorality. Um, why, why would God not, why does God not like divorce? Why is he so against it? Sorry. Why would God not like divorce? It breaks the picture. It breaks the picture. So marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ loving the church. Yeah. And if divorce is common, then the, the picture is that Christ doesn't love the church. Mm. And the church doesn't love Christ. Yeah. And so that perfect reflection is shattered. Yeah. Yeah, which is why he doesn't like it. Because he's like, that doesn't align with my character. I don't like that. That's not my plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, marriage is supposed to reflect the unstoppable love of Christ and his church. And so when the love stops, it doesn't do the love of God justice. Um, but because we live in a sinful world, there's things like abusive marriages and adultery and pain and like so many different things. And so I... There's a lot of different viewpoints. I believe that divorce is okay on means of adultery, but that doesn't mean that you have to choose that too. Because I also think that the Lord demonstrates radical forgiveness, radical grace, not like (laughs) redeeming your marriage after adultery would be easy by any means, but I do believe that it's possible if that is what you choose to do. Um, But it's clear, I think, in this section that Jesus says divorce is okay if there's sexual immorality involved. Um, But every situation is so different, um, and it's such a sensitive topic. Um, And divorce is never what God wants, but God is is gracious, and he's good, um, and he works through any evil. Um, But yeah, any thoughts on that? And their whole family is super, super, very, very Baptist Christians. Mm. And so this, mar- it was so, she's much older than I am, but um, it was not a good marriage. There, there was a, one of their kids had committed suicide. Like, mm. there was all of this pain that just had overtaken this family. And still, her family, like, rejected her almost mm. because... She was choosing to be safe yeah. and you know protect the life of her other child mm-hmm. and protect her life and her faith and all these things. She at one point she said something along the lines of, um, at some point, even hard things, this type of hard thing, God does not need me to do it. Yeah. At some point, He needs me to do something else, mm-hmm. and that doesn't always ring true for everyone. But right. People stay going through hard things and. Blesses them in those ways, but for her, right. it was time to move. Mm. Um, and the church treated her so mm. unkindly. Isn't that heartbreaking? It, it, yes, because yeah. she was one of the like she gave to everyone, and she she's one of the kindest people. And so, mm. um, Ken says this a lot when he talks about divorce. God hates divorce. Mm. It, it's shattering his picture, right? Like yeah. He allows for it, and he um, right. He's made exceptions for it yeah. he's made allowances for it and his overwhelming mercy and grace and radical forgiveness and all of those things cover all of it right and so even if we go through something that difficult even if the church hopefully not this church hmm. like rejects you for a divorce or whatever yeah I the Lord and it's, it's a hard thing to understand because the Lord is orchestrating our whole lives and to think that he would choose for us to go through a divorce or choose for my friend to go through like it's really hard to understand and it's hard to understand why God would put us through hard things or put our friends or our family right. through hard things willingly mm-hmm. and allow it um, but it's just one of those things that sometimes it's necessary right. for the safety of everyone involved sometimes it's necessary for faith to remain intact right. for the people involved in Right. Those marriages. And other times, 
it was just God's plan. Yeah. It was just God's plan for them to be married and not work. And that's really, and it's really, really hard to say mm-hmm. because every divorce and every situation like it shatters the families that are involved. And so it's really hard to say it was just God's plan. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to have that perspective when you're close. It's one of those things that you can only think about years and years and decades later and look at it and all those things. But like my grandparents were divorced Mm. and it it shattered their family for a while. But, and some of you know this, all the things we can trace. Mm. That's why David and I are together. Right. Mm. And so hard things are hard and they will never be easier. But God works through them and with them. And sometimes the resolution doesn't come about for your life. Mm. Sometimes it comes through someone else. Right. You know? Yeah. So divorce is really hard to talk about mm-hmm. because it's sometimes it's so necessary. Right. So hmm Yeah. I think you put it really well. Yeah. And, like, we serve a God that, like, turns evil upside down. Like... In fantastic ways. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. what? Yeah. Do you guys know who Lisa Turkhurst is? Well, she, um, yeah, she's awesome. She's like one of the people at Proverbs 31 Ministries. And um, her and her husband, her husband, I think they were married 35 years and then or around 35 years. And I guess he repeatedly was unfaithful to her. And um, she fought for the marriage and they separated for a while. And she like has not released like any of the specifics, which I think is wise. But she does say like there's like addictions and infidelity and just a lot of lying going on and she fought for it her entire marriage and they separated and they got they renewed their vows and he like repented and then just recently he fell back into all his old ways again and she's released that she is getting a divorce and you guys should look on her instagram she explains it so well like you can tell that she is grieving because god is grieving but she's also like this has to happen like this like i have to come to with terms like that the divorce is the only way um, because of the hardness of my spouse's heart. And it's just like, it's so heartbreaking, but I think that she portrays what it looks like to do it in a way that is God-honoring. And But man, so hard. And like, just like, makes it makes me so sad. Um, but yeah, any other thoughts on just the topic? I think it's also really important to understand that because we're human and we're on the earth, not in heaven, like there's only so much that we can truly understand, like mm. on this side of heaven. Because right. um, in reality, like it's kind of, we're almost like in already in the not yet of the kingdom, just because like we do see like glimpses of heaven on earth, like when babies are born, when people get healed of cancer, when you know people are set free from sin. That's that's heaven breaking through to right. earth, but heaven isn't fully here on earth, so that's why murder still happens, that's why divorce happens, that's mm. why sexual sin happens, so I I think for, at least for myself, in, in really hard times, like, oh my gosh, like, why is this happening, this does mm. not make any sense, like, there's just going to be things that unfortunately in our lifetime are never going to fully make sense, mm. because heaven's not fully right until heaven is fully present here on earth you know when jesus returns we're not going to get it Mm. yeah yeah that's that's so good and then like when we do go through the times where we're like interacting or face to face with like the sin of the world we can be like okay not yet like one day this will not be here and we can like look forward and hope to that and one day we'll get to heaven and understand it we'll, yeah. we'll get the full picture we'll, we'll understand why we had to go through I mean even I know even in my own life like mm-hmm. I used to be in a horrible relationship and I remember when I got out of the relationship I was like this is it I'm done I'm never going to recover this is it and mm-hmm. now looking even just looking back five years I can see like how the Lord was working through that situation and when we get to heaven we'll get to see like this all makes sense. Like, yeah. this is the full picture, and we'll be able to see it from every angle. And right here on Earth, we can't. Right. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah. Any any other thoughts or things that are on your guys' hearts? 
I think like it's really important for Christians to like remember that like us being on earth isn't like a test of our obedience. It's more of a test of God's mercy, hmm. which he already passed through the cross. So just like remembering that and remembering that like we can try to follow his law and we can try to uh, follow what Jesus said, which is good, and we definitely should do it because that's like his design and that's like how he wants us to go about things. But mostly we should view his mercy and view like how he's already forgiven us for like all the sins that mm, we've done. Right. Um, and just remembering that, I think in itself, really does like empower us to want to do better and not like in a forceful way because, like, I mean, he's not like a tyrant, he doesn't right. like force us to do anything, but. Um, it definitely like empowers me at least. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. Then it's not like, okay, I have to do all these good things. It's like, I get to think on the mercy and grace of God. Yeah. Is that what you're kind of saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. All right, well, we will hit the last section, um, which is a little lighter than the first two sections. <laughs> you're welcome. Did that on purpose. Um, Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Um, who would like to read that little section for us? I will read it. Thank you, Andrea. <laughs> Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Awesome. All right, so the Old Testament law that Jesus is talking about is basically that he said, like, don't swear by God, don't swear by anything. Um, so for them, it would be like, I swear on Yahweh that I will give you two of my cows. And it'd be like, no, uh, don't bring Yahweh into this. What if, like, you die and then you can't give me the two cows? then, like, you've just, like, done a big bad thing. Um, it's a sign, like, of respect and just, like, not using Yahweh's name in a way that you shouldn't use it. Um, but Jesus, as always, takes it a step farther and says, don't don't ever swear by anything. And so this was always really confusing to me because I was like, can I pinky promise? Like, is that a sin? Like, <laughs> and, like, what if, like, sometimes you're like, oh, I, like, I swear on my car or like I promise this I promise that um it's so easy to do and I'm like well is that wrong um but you have to like take a step back when you start asking those questions like okay Jesus is all about my heart right Jesus is all about my heart um and so you have to think about who God is and what that says about who we are um so God is a God that values truthfulness he values honesty because he's a God of truth and honesty um Numbers twenty three nineteen. I'll read it for us real fast. Um, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Um, so God always tells the truth. He always says what he's going to do, and he does it. And nothing from his lo- mouth is ever a lie. So therefore, he wants his people to imitate him in that way, um, to follow through, um, to speak truth, to speak life, um, to be truth-seeking, truth-devoted, truth-loving people, because that is who he is. Um, Ephesians 4, 25 put this, puts this really well. I told you guys you're going to read the whole Bible by the end of, the, end of our time together. Um, 4, 25. Um, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak with the truth that truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Um, so it's acknowledging like, hey, put away falsehood. Like you might have lived in a lie before. You might have been really good at lying before. But because you know Christ, put it away and tell the truth all the time because you serve a God of truth. Um, and then God is also a promise-keeping God, right? He, he keeps his promises. That's like throughout the all, all of the Old Testament, God is a promise-keeping God. Um, Deuteronomy seven twenty four says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Um, so he keeps his promises. What he says always happens. What he says always goes. No matter what happens, you can trust that God will keep his promises. So therefore, we're called to be a promise-keeping people. Um, so think of someone in your life who is not reliable. 
I know we all have someone in our life that's not reliable. You might even think, I'm unreliable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's someone who doesn't, like, follow through. Sometimes their words don't maybe match their actions. Or you just know that they'll flake on, like, anything that you plan. And so sometimes you're like, I won't even invite them. Um, So think of that person. And think if they were, if you were an unbeliever and they came to you and they tried to tell you about their awesome, promise-keeping, truth-seeking, um, always true, covenant-keeping God who wants to love you, would you believe them? Uh-uh. No. No way. Because you're like, you are full of lies. Like, there's no way that I would believe you. And if you trusted in that God, you would be a truth-seeking, covenant-keeping, promise-making, not flaky friend. Um, so God wants his people to be so trustworthy, so consistent, so honest, that no one even wants you to swear on anything, that when you say yes, you'll do something, they trust you. If you say no, that you won't do something, they're like, all right, I trust you. You don't need to swear. You don't need to pinky promise because your word is so true and you've proven your character that people just take you seriously at your word. Now, does this mean that every time you make a pinky promise, it's a sin? I don't think so because your heart's probably not in that place of I'm untruthful, so I'm going to make a pinky promise. It's just like something that's cute. Um, (laughs) um, But it is good to think about, am I living in a way that is truthful, that is covenant-keeping, that is promise-keeping? Am I consistent? Am I prone to exaggerate? I'm prone to exaggerate. I was so convicted this week as I read this. Am I prone to say no to things that I previously said yes to? Um, So, yeah, just really good to think about. When do you guys think it's okay to turn your yes into a no? That's a, that's a tough question because I feel like there's so many instances, so many like examples. It's not like a specific thing. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm sure there are lots of different reasons to turn your yes into a no. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say, like, no, like, you have to do this no matter what. Um, but I mean, I'm sure they're out there. Yeah. I don't know they are, but I'm sure they're out there. Yeah. 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 It depends on the situation. Yeah. Depends yeah. on where's your heart, where your heart's at. Yeah. I think it's a, a really fine line sometimes to walk to. Um, like if you do make it, like if you make a commitment to something, like you have not, you know, like keep that commitment. So right. Remain reliable and trustworthy. Hmm. Um, I know for me, a lot of times when I do it, it's like if I see that I've overextended myself, hmm. or like. I guess, like, overextending myself, like, when I start to feel it, like, physically, that, like, okay, my gosh, you really do need to slow down. And usually the only times I do it is, like, if I know that, like, someone else is able to step in, hmm. that I'm not just kind of leaving them empty-handed. Yeah. Thing. I don't know if that's... Yeah. Yeah, like, you kind of ask, you kind of ask to be released from the commitment and make sure that someone else can take it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, the responsible thing to do. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It really has to be, like, about your heart. Like, I think what you said about making sure that someone else can fulfill those or, like, you're making sure you're being respectful as you're saying no or asking if it's okay if you say no, too. Like... That can be really, because that's taking another into an account and you're loving, trying to love them well. Yeah, that's good. I think sometimes just circumstantially, when you have to back out of the commitment, sometimes you just have to back out. Hmm. Sometimes things come up that are unavoidable or it's an emergency or yeah. it's a problem or like something big happens. Sometimes you do have to leave them stranded and hmm. it would hurt more to try to do everything that you could right. to. Yeah. So even if you said, yes, I'll bring the drinks to our party tonight, and then you get in a car wreck on the way there, it would be totally acceptable to not show up and drink. Yes. Yeah. It would be totally acceptable for you to not show up and Yeah. Like, yeah. So, so the time I got in a car wreck on the way to Bible study. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was a whole mess. And then I got there, and I, like, taught. The, like, blah, 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 blah. And then we were done. Like, I taught so fast, and I really should have said, I'm gonna go home now. Uh, yeah, like, you should have. Like, yeah, no, they're all there. They're all waiting on me. They're all counting on me. I, you would have all been like, we can leave. Half of us have keys. I know. When you came in, you're like, I got it a wreck. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I think it definitely depends on the situation and and again, like and your heart. On the other side, if someone has to back out of a commitment and you know that they are, they keep their word, that they are very hmm. consistent, that they they really really try to do their best. Yeah. 
you need to be able to extend the grace and mercy that you would like to receive in this mm, situation. That's good. Because it, sometimes it's just unavoidable. Sometimes right. you, you have to wait 20 extra minutes for the teacher to get there because she got in a car wreck. Or you have to say, no, we're all going to go home. You know, you have to extend that grace because I am a person who would come to Bible study and teach it after getting in a car wreck. It's a bad idea. Yeah. You have to you have to be the person that extends that grace because sometimes I, people aren't going to fight for themselves. Like I don't want to single you out. But you would be you would do the same thing. You'd be like, "I'm fine, everything's okay." And then you'd like melt when you get home later. It'd be fine. Like people are counting on me. People are relying on me. So we need to be able to extend that to people who may not fight for it themselves. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's true. Like allow them. It's okay. I understand. Hmm. That's good. <laughs> Maybe we should have just said, sorry, Andrea. Night's over. No, it's great teaching. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's pretty funny. But yeah, obviously. Yeah. 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 And also, I remember definitely texting you and being like, we can just cancel. And you said no. So, yeah, you said no. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's definitely times that you can say no and you can say yes. Um, and there's times where your no becomes a yes. And I think what you said, Andrea, like someone that has the character of, like, they don't say no very often and they need to say no to this thing, you're like, okay, go for it. Like, I know that you committed to it, but you're fine. Um, so, overall, God wants his people to be hard workers who tell the truth consistently, um, who work because they know that God is the one they're trying to represent. Um, God wants his people to be a people of character who are reflecting him. Um, and we can't do it all on our own. The Holy Spirit is going to be working through us as we walk with the Lord and we learn more about who he is. He's the one that's going to be working those things through us because it's impossible for us to do it by ourselves. Um, so yeah, I'll pray for us. We've been talking for a while, so I would pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for Jesus and I thank you for the Sermon on the Mount, which just gives us a new standard to live by. And just a reminder that it's all about our hearts, Lord, that um, you you can see our hearts. You can see what's going on, whether it's thoughts that we're struggling with, lust, or um, things that we're confused by, or um, ways that we doubt you, Lord. You know it all. Um, God, I just I pray for all these ladies here, God, that they would... Uh, they would just come to know you more, that they would desire you, that they would crave your word, that they would just fall more in love with you and see how much you love them, God, and that it would just radically change their lives. Because we know that from a love of you comes these things like truthfulness and honesty and a desire to cut off sin. That's where it comes from, Lord, that it's not by our own strength, but it's just through you. Um, Lord, I thank you for who you are, that you're never changing, that you're a promise-keeping God. Um, and a holy God. And I just, I thank you for the gospel and I thank you for all that you're doing. In your name I pray. Amen.